I just want to start out with asking yourself, yourself the question, what, what do you think about yourself? Uh, men or women, what do, you, what do you think about you? I believe wholeheartedly that, that uh, across the spectrum, we are really hard on ourselves, And uh, especially when it comes to, to our, our appearance, it's something that our culture really holds highly. And uh, whether we admit it or not, it's something I think we process an awful lot about. And it isn't just a female issue. I mean, it, it's a guy thing, too. Um, ironically, I actually went through the same process. I brought in a forensic artist and I described to him how I view myself. And it was uncanny when when he finished the rendering. Uh, this is what he came up with. And so I've got some issues, uh, apparently. But then the people that I'd been interacting with out in the hallway beforehand, they brought them in and asked them to describe me. And then this is how they describe me. So, uh, uh, which one, which one do you like? I don't, I don't know which is better. Um, okay. You can take it off now. <laughs> Staring over my shoulder. <laughs> You know, way back in Samuel, in the Old Testament, God says, you know what, I, I don't look at the same thing that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And yet here, centuries later, um, we're still having a hard time getting a handle on that, aren't we? Still having a hard time uh, processing ourselves in terms of what's on the inside versus what's on the outside. And our culture doesn't help uh, to that end. And so that probably is a better question to think through. It's the same question, but just pressed in a different way. What do you think about yourself? I don't want you to think about what you see when you look in the mirror. What do you think about the real you? What do you think about the inner you, the, the core of you? Uh, that's a really, really important question. To begin to process because what's going on on the inside determines an awful lot about what what behavior comes out on the outside and what's going on uh, mentally here. It's going to eventually catch up with what you say and, and what you do. I think to borrow some photography language, uh, we are really um, overexposed and underdeveloped people and more and more so as as decades roll on, I, I find us being overexposed culturally, uh, media, you name, I mean, just constantly inundated with all sorts of information and thoughts, whether it's in print or digitally, whether it's on your phone or on the television or you name it, constantly overexposed just to too much for us to take in. And then I think because increasingly so as a society, we're also becoming, we're also very underdeveloped people at the core of us that our, that our hearts and souls can't even process the vast amounts that we're, we're forced to intake. What we're exposed to is overwhelming. Uh, what's going on at the core of us, at, our, at our, our inner part of us is underdeveloped. And so we can't even keep up with it. And this, this is a problem, it's an issue. God is very concerned, very much, about the whole of us. He's concerned about us socially and mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually. 
He is concerned about us as a whole. And you look throughout the scriptures and he addresses the, the social part of us. In Romans chapter 12, he says, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everybody. That's good social advice. Now, to the mental part of us, in Philippians, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is uh, true and noble and lovely and excellent and admirable and praiseworthy, think about such things. What you think about matters to God. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the emotional part of you, in, in Proverbs um, chapter 29 the person writing Proverbs chapter 29 said um, that, the, that the foolish person uh, vents out whatever is in their spirit, but the wise person quietly uh, holds back. God's concerned about the emotional part of you. He's concerned about the physical part of you. We know that Scripture says that our bodies, our physical bodies, are, are a, a temple of the Holy Spirit, we, we should take care of this body that we're in. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, he acknowledges that, that physical training is of some value. There is some value to us being in shape and taking care of our, our bodies. But the rest of that verse goes on to speak to the spiritual part of us. Saying, yeah, physical training has some value, but godly training has value for all things in this life and, and in the one to come. And so it's our spiritual life, the, the soul life, the inner life and workings of us that are so, so key. And that's what we just kind of want to dive into a conversation about uh, today. Yeah, and, and for me, it's. It's been a journey. It was about a year ago that I heard a, a series of messages from a pastor who he kept asking the same question over and over. And it was, it was how is your soul? So, so how, how's your soul? And it stuck so much with me that I, I have this thing with my, my older daughters where ever since they entered high school, just trying to carve out one day a week where we, before school, just one-on-one go and sit and just kind of connect heart to heart and see how they're doing. And, and one of the things that I've always kind of done in that time is gone, you know, how are you doing? And I would get answers like, well, uh, I'm good. Well, well, define good for me, right? And, and so good then gets defined by, well, school's going well. Um, my, my friendships are going well. And, and everything just seems to be in a good spot. Soccer's good. And, and, and so... In the last year, one of the things that, that has happened for me from this, this sermon on how's your soul is I, I started intentionally at some point in the conversation just going, how's, how's your soul? And it was amazing to me what began to happen is you can't answer how's your soul with, well, school's good. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. And it naturally forces you, forces you deeper going, I, I, I think I'm okay. Well, why do you think you're okay? What's, what's going on? Or, or I'm, I'm good. Well, why, why is your soul good? And, and then there's reasonings that come out of that. And, and one of the things that started doing for me is just, just in my own life going, man, how is my soul? And, and when we talk about soul, it begins to, it forces you to go to the inside you. 
It forces you away from the exterior. It forces you to go inside and begin to ask questions. And, and for me, I began to ask, like, okay, when we talk about the inside you, what does that even mean? Who are you? Because if we're not careful, if we don't deal with the inside, we often get caught with the outside. But, but here's what I mean. Like, they say that trillions of atoms form you. That, that those trillions of atoms, they, they, they form molecules, and those molecules form cells, and those cells have like six feet of DNA inside them, and, and roughly like three billion, like just roughly three billion um, strings of coding in each cell that makes up you, right? And then those cells, they, they, they form systems, and, and, and that's all the systems of the body and that kind of thing. But here's the thing. If we take any one of those, if we break you down to the, to the smallest part possible, we would still say we haven't found you. And what I mean by that is we could, we could take your elbow, right, or your arm, and we can break it down to the smallest parts, but we would never say that that arm is you. We would never define it. If you had to lose this part, we would say you lost a what? You lost an arm. You didn't lose you. And so today in framing up this conversation, as, as Ron began with, with this over, the, the insides of us get over overexposed and underdeveloped like like and then the bible deals with the whole but then specifically the bible begins to narrow down and as the bible begins to narrow down and the bible has an awful lot to say by the way about this inside you the part that we can't see but we know it's you and you wouldn't be it without you the the verse in matthew here that's up it says This was asked of Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your what? Soul. With all that is inside of you and with all your mind, with all that's inside of you. So so this soul, this inside you has the ability then to to love God, has the ability to love God. The, the Bible then in, in Psalms begins to give us a bigger picture of what this looks like. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My Savior, my God, why, my soul, are you what? Downcast. So, so there's this reality of this inner life that can love, but at the same time be downcast, can be disturbed. And, and then as I was reading, I, I went to First Peter, and First Peter talks about this this idea of the soul and the value of the soul and and what's really taking place in the soul. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from simple desires, which wage war against your what? And it was almost like as I'm going through Scripture, just looking at different places, the souls mentioned, it's almost like at this point light bulbs went on and, and I saw the value of what this inside life really brings and holds. That the war is not coming on the outside of you. The war is not about all the physical things that you handle or put up with or walk through. The war is actually for what's taking place on the inside. The enemy, by the way, isn't interested in your outside. The enemy is interested in your inside. That is the battlefield, which then threw me back to, man, how vital... How vital does this question become? How is your soul? How is your soul? Because that's what the enemy is going after. 
it only stands to reason that we then would, would decide that we are going to pay attention to the soul because that's what matters. Here's what I mean. I, I went through Scripture and I began creating lists of everything that Scripture says about your soul, what it can do and what it is and that kind of stuff. So, so your soul can seek. Your, your soul can love. Your soul can serve. From your soul it can turn. You choose what you turn to. Your soul, the following comes out of your soul. Cling to. Be strong for. You pour out of your soul. You devote your soul to something. Bitter. Your soul can become bitter. Complaining comes from your soul. Die in bitterness. Your, your soul can die in bitterness, as it says in the Psalms. Your soul can be wounded. Your soul can cry out. Your soul can grieve. Your soul carries deep anguish. Your soul carries refreshing. Your soul is owned. Your soul can be distressed, rejoicing. This extreme joy comes within your soul. Your soul can thirst. Your soul can become downcast. Disturbed. Your soul rests. Your soul can praise. It can make music and sing. It's consumed. Your soul becomes weary with sorrow. It faints. It needs rescue. This one got me, by the way. Your soul can be ambushed. That speaks of being on guard of this inner life, that we are on guard for, for what is inside the real you, the inside you, that, that, that it can be ambushed if we aren't on, God, on guard against it. It yearns. It tastes. It rejoices. The soul sins. It's handed grief. It's forfeited. It gives can give glory, it can be troubled, it can be well and healthy, it can be kept blameless, it can be anchored, it can be rescued, it's waged war against, and it can be loved. Like, this isn't all of them, by the way, there's more. But what it, what it got me is, it, is, is the, this whole list kind of falls into these two things. That there is a state of my soul... There's, and what I mean by that is you get into the Bible and it talks about that my soul was handed grief, that my soul is grieving or my, my soul is distressed or my soul is troubled. That's language that the inside of me was given this and now that's the state of the inside of me. But there's also all these things that come from my soul. That love comes from the inside, the, the inside me. That love comes from my soul. That serving comes from my soul. That my direction of what I follow comes from my soul. So, so, and, and as we begin to go through this, that question of how is your soul becomes vital because then, then the question becomes how do I have a soul that is full? How do I have a soul that is, that is thriving and it is vital and is flourishing? Yep, that's good because your soul is the, is the wellspring of your life. It determines everything that you say and that you do. And so you can neglect your soul or you can invest in your soul. Uh, Jesus used the language of, of a tree, the analogy of a tree. There's a good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. And so it is with our soul. Um, when you invest in your soul, it produces good fruit in your life. When you neglect your soul, it produces bad fruit. Um, or no fruit at all. And so this is a key question for us. Back in, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 
trying to get the attention of the people of God over and over and over again. God was speaking powerfully through this, this man, Isaiah, and, and really trying to call them to a life of integrity where their inside matched the outside, where it wasn't this big disconnect. Because we can get good at putting up the facade, and the irony is we can look good and play the part on the outside and yet be completely empty, dead, numb, broken on the inside, right? And so he calls that out early in the book of Isaiah saying, these people, they, they, they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Uh, later in the book, in chapter 58, he describes something here about the state of our soul that is something, honestly, for me, it's the benchmark. Honestly, what, what Isaiah describes here of our soul is what I want. I want individually, I want personally, but I also want it for every single one of you in here, that this would be true of your, your soul. And he starts up by, by just describing a little bit of, of, okay, here's the journey though, to have soul work done in you. If you need to have some soul work done, then here's a handful of things you should stop doing. And here's a couple of things you should start doing that kind of open the floodgates for the Spirit of God and the Word of God to go to work on your soul. In Isaiah chapter 58, it says, If you take away the, the yoke, yoke of oppression from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and, and speaking wickedness, and if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, um, if you make a trade here, and that is rather than pointing fingers at everybody else and probably at everybody else's behavior and not necessarily the core of them, and you yourself stop the diversion tactic of look at what everybody else is doing and look at their behavior and look at the outward them and all that sort of thing, and you stop the squabbling in that sense, but instead zero in on the soul and followers of Jesus, if we can start in on the souls of each other, uh, in your family, your close friends, to begin to have those conversations about what's it look like for me to feed hungry souls, not just feed mouths. There's nothing wrong for what we do overseas in poverty-stricken areas for us to bless people in our community here that are, are suffering. I mean, literally physical hunger, but the, the hunger of the soul is way worse. And we have something in the Word of God and the person of Jesus that will fill hungry souls, including yours and mine. And so it's a different shift for us to get into this whole behavior management thing where we can begin to zero in to the hearts and souls of people. That we open up our own hearts and souls to other people. That, that's dangerous. It's scary, right? That question that John's posing, how's your soul? That's a courageous question. Because if you pause yourself long enough to ask yourself that question, um, you better get ready for the answer. And then you, you best figure out how to go about uh, zeroing in on inviting the Spirit of God to go to work on your soul. 
This, to, to me, reminds me of what we talked about last week. There are sinful, disgusting, hurtful things that you are doing, that I'm doing, that we are called to put aside. We're called to stop. They're only damaging our soul. But we're also called continually to put something on, uh, to take on Jesus Christ, to clothe ourselves in Christ and and allow Him to satisfy our souls and the souls of others around us. And when we start to do that, then this is what it looks like. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail." Is there anybody in here that does not want that to be said of their soul? That it is like a watered garden and and springs of water welling up within you. I mean, saturating and comforting and healing and restoring and refresh every single part of the real you, the inside you that really matters and that gives birth to what we say and what we do. That's what I want. And God's the source of that. He is the source of that. No other person is. No thing is. No amount of experiences are. He has what our our soul needs. And I look at this list and I'm going, okay, Lord, if I invite you, I position myself in a place where you're going to go to work on my heart and my soul, then you you will make my soul like what you describe here. Um. My soul won't be dark, it will be light. Uh, My my soul will be uh, guided. My my soul will be uh, productive. My my soul would be satisfied. My, My soul would be at a spot where it is sustained rather than drained. And so to recalibrate as we start a year, uh, to start first on inviting God to do some work on our souls. Ask ourselves the question, how is our soul? And then say, what do I need to put aside that's harming my soul? What do I need to invite you, Lord, to do by the power of your spirit and your word or your community, your people, that would transform my soul? What a a great question to ask. And then why don't we say at the end of this year, let's do a grand experiment. Really invite the Lord to go to work on your soul for 12 months. And then we'll talk about that at the end of the year. Uh, let's see, let's see, see what he does. I'm going to turn my mic off because I didn't want you to hear me reading. So. <laughs> but I, I love that. I love, I love the imagery of strong bones. That there's strength on the inside. That they're not going to break easily. That, that, that we would be these well-watered gardens that are, that are flourishing and full. That, that that would be the description of us as Jesus followers that, that gather in this community. Like, like As Ron said, I can think of nothing more exciting than a group of people who are willing to be courageous enough to go, how am I on the inside? How am I doing? How is my soul? And then not stopping there. 
But over and over in the Psalms, what you find is, so I will put my hope in God. I will follow his decrees. Like over and over, it always comes back to anchoring. Hebrews talks about anchoring back into God. So whatever you find within your soul, whatever is stuck, the answer is recentering ourselves back, bringing ourselves back. And at the start of the year, there may not be anything better than just going, hey, church, how's your soul? And, and if you're helping with communion, you can come on, come on forward and you can just begin passing it. You don't need to wait for me. But, but we're going to intentionally slow down. Because sometimes we, we're like the guy in this story, right? A couple of weeks ago for me, I got an example from someone of what I don't want my soul to be like. And we were driving, my, my family and I were driving to the movie theater. And By the way, if you're that guy and you're here, welcome. How's your soul? <laughs> like, you're in a good spot. Um, but we're driving to the movie theater and and my daughter's in front of me. She's driving. She's got my wife and my five-year-old daughter with her. And I'm in the car behind with my other two daughters. And my daughter took a while to turn. Like, it wasn't maybe the most smoothest turn. Um, come to find out later through talking to her, she was just being cautious. She wanted to make sure that the coming lane wasn't going to hit her. And, and so she sat there and she went. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's this honking behind us. And I actually... Okay... Just in being completely honest, I actually thought it was me because I was on my phone and I thought I'd missed something. So I thought he was honking at me. And then he continued to point at me all the way down the road, you know, with a certain finger. Um, and he followed us all the way up to the movie theater. And he, the whole way he's pointing at me and yelling. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to go good. And we get to the movie theater, and I can tell the way he's, he's sitting. He's waiting to see where we park. And, and so my daughter pulls in, and I tried to park as close as I could so that I could get out quickly. And sure enough, he comes down. And he begins to yell profanities at my daughter and my wife and my five-year-old daughter and drives around them yelling, continues to yell, comes around and continues to yell. And at this point, I might have got a little energetic and a little vocal, just, just maybe. But what's funny is, like, we've been talking about this sermon and, and an idea for it, and this question of how's your soul, like, I wanted to ask him. I didn't, because I didn't want to get shot. <laughs> but I wanted to ask him, because he was following us because we hadn't turned fast enough, but he wasted how much time to hunt us down and cuss us out? And you see, if we're not careful, those moments, if, if I don't choose to recenter, I hold and they corrupt my soul. Just like last night, I'm laying, tucking my three-year-old in bed and she's just talking. And somewhere in the conversation she goes, and Jesus died and God made him alive again and took him to heaven. And I said, why do you do that? 
And she said, because he loves me. And then without a, without a beat, like I couldn't get a word in at that point, she goes, and I love him with all my heart. I mean, you talk about a moment that you want to hold because it does something inside you. But here's the problem. That moment was never meant to sustain me. And so often we're holding moments that are outside, trying to sustain the inside. And what we want to do this morning, we just want to slow down. By now, most of you have the elements sitting in your hand. And we just want to give you, we'll we'll take it all together after, but we just want to give you a moment. And as you sit in this moment, it's simply this. How is my soul? What areas do I need to recenter back on the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus? What areas do I need to let go of because I have the danger of making me, making me bitter or angry or, or my soul, instead of flourishing, actually shrivel up? And so the next moments are yours just to sit, sit and you answer the question of how, how's my soul before your God today? God, we we come before you, the maker of our souls, the one who knit us together, the one who knows us intimately, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. God, that you search the inside us. God, may you continue through this next year just to reveal to us where is our soul. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for joy. Thank you for song that comes from our soul that we get to sing. God, as we stand and we sing and we praise you because you're worthy, God, would you lift our souls this morning that we would be full and strong And that we would be a river that flows with life because we met with the living God and He changes everything. We love you and everybody said, Amen.